Do you like all things spooky? How about chilling stories that have you reaching for the covers? On this podcast, we're going under the covers to delve into all things from chilling haunts to your worst nightmares. I'm Morgan. And I'm Emily. And this is why we don't don't sleep sleep alone. alone. And we're here. Our very first legitimate episode. This is so exciting. Are you excited? I mean, yes, I am. You should be. Well, I'm about to rock your world because today I have a story about a very famous, well, under famous yeah. <laughs> person that I didn't really know until you kind of like showed me his name. Yeah. I mean, I was like, I was researching something for a different episode that we're going to do. And then I ran into him and I was mm-hmm. like, wow, look at, look at this guy. <laughs> he's crazy. <laughs> he's, he's got a few things under his belt. And, um, never heard anything about him. Mm -mm. And so I was like, oh, let me just like, maybe I'll throw a little bit of him into this other episode. And then I realized it was a much bigger story. uh, Yeah. Than we intended. He actually is, uh, the, like one of the first serial killers in Florida. Yep. So Mm -hmm. he was also friends with Ted Bundy, (laughs) which I mean, we'll get into that later. Great, (laughs) great, great. Great company. Great company. Great company. I mean, who? I mean, who has some friends with Ted Bundy? Right. Honestly, like, <laughs> honestly, honestly, I would. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I was gonna say he'd be dead. <laughs> he'd be like, well, I get it. Sure, Zac Efron. <laughs> yep. Because because that's exactly who Ted Bundy is. Zac Efron. He's not Zac Efron. In no. case anybody was wondering. In case anybody. Zac Efron is not Ted Bundy. No, he is so much more attractive. And also the star of the hit movie, um, High School Musical. I've never heard of that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> we were only dancing to that like a month ago in my living room. But <laughs> like it's okay. last week. <laughs> it's okay. Shh, shh. They don't need to know that. It's, it's, it's just because you're a son. Well, High School Musical, like five or something like that is about to come out. And Zac Efron has actually confirmed that he's going to be in it, which is ridiculous. But I digress. So, let's go ahead and get into Gerard John Schaefer Jr., which, again, since he's a junior, he's named after his dad. So, um, so Gerard kind of grew up in what he says a turbulent home or, like, a conflict-ridden home. He was the oldest of three in a Catholic home in the... He was born in 43... 46. So, yes. he was born March 26 of 1946. So... Let's all keep in mind the social expectations and just how the world was functioning in that time. There was a lot of social pressures. Um, Religion was a very big deal in all these homes, which I still think it's a very big deal in homes now, but I feel like more so then, right? Yeah. I mean, especially when you come to find out that he grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. So... In a very Catholic home. Yeah. In the 50s. Uh... And the South, uh, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. I think we kind of hit it right on the head. So he was born in Wisconsin, um, but it was very early in his childhood. He grew up mostly in Atlanta, Georgia. That's where he spent most of his childhood and those like developmental years. Um, He explains in later psychiatric sessions that like his dad was verbally abusive Um, and that he was a drunk. He was never home. He was always like on business trips and he just kind of didn't really give the time of day to Gerard, which I'm sure as a child kind of rocked his world a little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, I think as a kid, no matter who your parent is, whether they're terrible or whether they're great, you just want to do whatever mm-hmm. you can to make them proud and to make them love you. And unfortunately, his father didn't really care about him that much. And in fact, his father, like, favored his sister a little bit more, too, mm-hmm. which, like, sucks, you know, when you're yeah. a kid. You're like, all you want to do is make your parents happy and to know that no matter what you do, you're never going to make them happy. Mm-hmm. And it, like, it's hard. That's all you want. It is really hard. And to kind of express that, I, I he later admits that he cross-dressed as a child, like, as a young child, um, and would perform some pretty gruesome activities as a 12 year old. Um, he also explains that because he was playing dress up, I think that also added some strain on him and his father's relationship. Again, being in a Catholic home in Atlanta, Georgia, I'm sure a boy dressing up as a girl was not really a welcome thing. Luckily in this day and age, we're a little bit more welcoming to people expressing themselves in that way. Um, so he grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. He, again, later admits to hurting and often killing animals in his childhood. Um, he would cross-dress again, um, and then at a very, very young age, practice sadism, which, red flag. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of red flags here. I mean, killing animals at a young age that's showing that you mm-hmm. have no remorse, no empathy for any living thing, which... Mm-hmm. Oh, like, we'll get into a lot of serial killers use that, actually. And you can see that from a very young age. That just develop into something very, yeah. very bad. It's yeah. a storm for just... Yeah. It, it's just waiting to blow up. The cross-dressing also kind of shows, like... There could be a bunch of other things into the cross-dressing. But the fact that, like, his father favored his sister. He could have cross-dressed to try to be more like his sister. To yeah, try to get his... Yeah, mm-hmm. to, like, try to get his dad to love him more. And then in return, it actually made his dad hate him more because mm-hmm. he saw it as, like, a very bad thing. Homophobic thing. Yes. Um, and then going into the practicing sadism, like, tying himself to a tree while wearing ladies' underwear and hurting himself, which is something that he did. And he would do that until he started to get aroused is also showing that he... My, he's starting to associate a good feeling with pain and with hurting mm-hmm. himself. Which we're not kink-shaming. No, I mean, you know, whatever floats your boat, I'm but not down for 12 whatever. years old, this is probably not the world that they should be being exposed to. So the fact that he even got to that point to be able to to perform those acts is just kind of like what blows my mind. Yeah. Seeing as I have a son of my own. Like, it's just, it blows my mind to think at 12 years old, I was worried about impressing the boy on my skateboard. Yeah. Not, I th- I don't even think that I was sexually awake at 12 years old. Yeah. But I was also a nerd. So we can just forget about it's that. It's fine. Um, and he also admitted to being a peeping Tom, which all of these habits really followed him after um, elementary and middle school. And traveled with him to Fort Lauderdale when his family moved there right before he began high school. So the peeping Tom thing. Um, There's another word for it, which psychiatrists called voyeurism. There's definitely different subcategories of voyeurism, which we did some reading on. Um, But this particular one, or the most common one that we see, often leads to serial... It's a common theme in serial serial killers and serial rapists so it often turns very dangerous very quickly and you can't technically get prosecuted with it until you're 18 
And especially during these times as well, because it was more of an attitude of like, boys will be boys. Stop peeping in on your neighbor while she's changing kind of yeah, attitude. Like it's, ugh, boys are going to be boys. They're going to lust after girls and girls just mm-hmm. have to deal with it because that's just the way things are. Like, it's like when you're not prosecuted until you're 18 years old and you have to have proof of that for like six months. To be diagnosed with it, yes. Yeah, to be diagnosed with it, you have to have done it for six months after the age of 18. You have your entire, like your entire adolescence to train mm-hmm. how to stalk and how to prey on anyone. Become part of the background. Yeah. Like, so these women can't even... For the uh, for, from a victim's standpoint, I can understand how uns- I've never had to deal with this personally, but I can see how unsettling it would be because now after just reading this stuff, I'm like looking over my shoulder all the time. <laughs> so like, can you imagine if that trust was broken, where someone was peeping in on you, or you had a stalker and they were looking in your window while you were getting changed? Like, I would never feel alone ever again. Yep. And I would have, I would have never even like thought of that if I hadn't read about all this stuff and kind of like really dug in here. Right. So these fantasies really, really kind of like blossomed in his childhood as well. I feel like that's where all the roots really came from. Oh yeah. Because he talks about how he used to dress up as a girl and, and play pretty much games where he would always end up dying. He would always die in all of these different scenarios. He would torture himself. He would do this. He would do that, which later again turned into the sadism. Mm -hmm. But these childhood games were not the normal games that kids were playing. No, they were games of him like dressing up as a girl and being a girl and then killing himself as a girl. So you can see kind of like where his mind was of dressing up as a girl to try to please his father, but then the also, shame. Yeah, the shame and then also mm-hmm. killing himself as a girl because he probably felt a lot of hatred for his sister because she was the favorite. Or it could have been a power thing. Yeah. I feel like it could be either or. Yeah. It's probably both, to be completely no, honest. No, 100%. I mean, putting down women because they've always come on top in his life. Mm-hmm. Because his sister's always been a priority to his dad versus him, so all he wants to do is put women down because, mm-hmm. you know... So do you think, like, these games kind of mentally primed him to have just a self-hatred for women and maybe self-hatred for himself so he took it out on the weaker of the two? Yeah, no, I think 100%. I mean, when when someone makes you feel small, all you want to do is feel big. Mm -hmm. And so the best way to feel big is to put down anyone else who's similar to the person that made you feel small. Ooh, hashtag bullying. Am I right? I want anything about that. (laughs) (laughs) Sips coffee. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) We love you anyway. I only bully you most of the time. It's fine. So now we're going to kind of go into his kind of like adulthood. So he graduates from high school, which he ends up going to um, a pretty nice high school right outside of Fort Lauderdale. So it's not like he was like raised in any bad parts or anything like that, you know? Um, so he graduated from high school in 1964 from St. Thomas Aquinas High School, um, and then attended college at FAU, mm-hmm. which, um, is really weird. Cause like, I know where that is and like, I've been to that campus. So it's yeah. really weird to like now think back to it and be like, what the heck? Um, but during his college years in 1966, he claims to have gone to a psychiatrist to help him, and I quote, for his sexual deviance and homicidal tendencies. 
Um, but nothing really stuck. And we can't really confirm whether or not he actually went to go get some help or if this is just something, again, that he's saying to people, please, whoever he's talking to, probably prosecutors or investigators. Um, so he was really good at kind of putting on a mask, which should have been another red flag on the whole sociopath kind of route that we were heading down. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so during his college years, he tried to kind of like refine his roots in the Catholic church, you know, cause he had kind of grown apart from that seeing as his childhood was not really the best, you know, like as one does, as one does Yeah. Um, in college, we rekindle that religious, yeah. you know, everyone's trying to figure out who they are. It's a very weird point. Mm-hmm. You have no support from family a lot of times, and you're just kind of on your own figuring things out, trying to figure it out the world for yourself. And so, you know, a lot of people do turn to religion, you know, whatever, whatever floats your boat, whatever makes you happy. So he ended up finding like a singing religious group. It's called Perfect. up with people. Yeah. Is what the name is. I always say, I always want to say with up people. But with, with up with people. Up people. You like know, they're like, up. Yeah. Like, like they're raise me up. No. Oh, no. Um, I was thinking like up, like we're cool. Up. Like we're up because we're cool. We're on top. No, I think not. People. Not in the eyes of God. <laughs> Where <laughs> he really, again, tried to like connect with his Catholic roots. And I think this group could have really done good for him. Because he was surrounded by so many good people. But he ended up getting so infatuated and so influenced by this group that he sought out priesthood. Which I think is where it kind of took a turn. And that's also where, again, we see this whole power thing mm-hmm. where he wants to be the most powerful one. Ooh, you know, yes. so like being a priest, you're the one that hears everyone's, you know, wrongdoings. Mm-hmm. You're the one that's sought after for guidance and for You're all this an influential stuff. and inc- a crazy amount of influence over the yeah. church so you have all this power and again it's going and feeding back into his power trip and like need to be on top of people mm-hmm. and like spreading his moral and beliefs yes which again comes back to bite him right but like unfortunately we see with his priesthood i think he got a little bit too excited mm-hmm and was actually rejected because he didn't have enough faith. And I don't think he really went into priesthood for the faith reasons. I think he just went in for the power reasons. I think someone saw right through him. Exactly. And which sent him on a spiral of being very angry with the Catholic Church and completely quitting Catholicism as a whole. Mm-hmm. He was pretty much done with it, cut off all ties at that point. Um couple years later he ends up getting married to martha fogg because it's pretty quiet for him in that time between um so he gets married to martha fogg they seem pretty good on the outside there was never really any rumors going around that anything negative was happening yeah um so they seem to be having like a happy and normal marriage so maybe things are kind of like going for the best for gerard maybe he's finally you know found his person to steer him in the right direction. Yeah. And I mean, you see, they start to have this good marriage. His life seems like he's going good. And he actually even starts to get a job that same year at Plantation High School as a teacher. A local high school. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, he... Well, fortunately, not... Unfor- I mean, yeah, unfor- unfortunate for yeah. him, but fortunate for everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> All the other exactly. parties in this world. Um, but, I mean, he doesn't really matter. He's a piece of crap, so... Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it you can matter. say that, though, It's fine. Because he is. Uh, yes. 
Um, he gets fired for, and I quote, totally inappropriate behavior. Which they never disclose what exact inappropriate behavior it is, but they kind of give hints whenever they're talking about how he, like, tried to, like, push his morals and, like, push his beliefs on his students. He tried to, quotation marks, push his American values on his, which, again, what does that even mean? Yeah. Um, but we'll take that with a grain of salt and yep. we'll lock that into our subconscious while we go on the rest of this journey. Yeah. So his supervisor actually ends up going to say that, um, oh, he yeah. better not let me hear of his trying to get a job with any authority over people or I'd do anything I could to prevent it. So his supervisor even can tell that he has a power problem mm-hmm. and that he has this problem with wanting to be and have authority over all these people mm-hmm. and be in this position of power. So even like this Joe Schmo supervisor is yeah. like, hey, don't put him in any power. That's going to be the worst thing for him. Mm-hmm. And I would never recommend anyone do that. But uh, unfortunately, <laughs> no one listens to him. No <laughs> and they say, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Let's do whatever we can to help this guy out. <laughs> um, so uh, not too long after he gets fired from that job, um, him and Martha actually get a divorce. Womp for, womp. Yeah. Well, I mean, good for her, though. Good for her. I, Go for it, girl. I was going to say. Go I get mean, you some. Get knows, out of here. Yeah. Who knows where she'd be now? Oof. Oof. Uh, so, uh, actually, they get divorced for extreme and cruel treatment. Yeah. So, Which she never said that he, like, abused her or anything like that. But people who are in abusive relationships like that tend to not really give you the full story. And yeah. that's for one fear and two, they don't want to be seen as like weak or like, cause you always get the same question whenever people come out of relationships like that. Like, well then why don't you just leave? Because it's not always that easy. No, unfortunately it's not always that easy. And we're not in that situation. Luckily. Yeah. So it's never confirmed that he abused her, but I can only imagine what happened behind closed doors. Exactly. Uh, so after this, Schaefer is devastated and um, he goes to travel to Europe and North Africa to kind of clear his head and um, try a to... spiritual awakening. Yes. Have a spiritual awakening. Try to figure out, okay, I've tried a couple new things and neither of them have worked. And in fact, I'm in a really low point. I'm divorced. What am I going to do? So... And he's still really young at this time. He's only like 23 or 24. He's done so much in his life. Yeah. I... Okay, moving on. (laughs) So, while on this spiritual awakening, Uh uh, he happens upon a calling to become a police officer. If he couldn't be a priest and have power in there, if he couldn't be a teacher and have power there, what better thing to do than become a police officer? Which, side note, I found a newspaper clipping online where oh yes the dirty deeds his dad was a patrolman in world war ii interesting he was also a police officer so i don't know if that had anything to do with him choosing the police route like trying to like that one last straw to like please his dad or if it was just again an authority thing he had he was going to have access to all sorts of people's information and all that kind of stuff so it's like take that with a grain of salt i just thought it was interesting that his dad was also a patrolman well i mean i think a lot of the things that he does even in his adult life 
still point back to his dad and like because even as a kid you're trying to please your parents Mm -hmm. as an adult you're always trying to please your parents no matter how much you hate them or whatever for the most part i mean not all cases obviously yeah like but for the most part yeah so he could be like well maybe if i become a cop my dad will finally respect me and try to have a relationship with me because we have something in common now Ooh. you know like trying to find a common ground Mm -hmm. or maybe even like hey dad give me some pointers for you know Mm -hmm. being an officer or something you know it's a very easy conversation starter that I feel like might be able to engage his dad mm-hmm. and like build a relationship from that, which would be cool because you know we all love to have good relationships with our dads. So triggered, he did not. Oh, oh stop, <laughs> Emily! I hate it when you do that. I'm cutting that shit out. I hate it when you do that. Cut all of what I just said out, including no, what you said. I think that we need to leave the dead dad jokes. <laughs> I don't think it's productive. I think that the dead dad jokes are so productive because I think people need to understand that you can lose a parent in life and everything can still work out fine and you can be make a podcast with your best friend and just be happy. Who needs who needs their dad? You can just make a podcast with your best friend and be just as happy. I'm just saying. passing all of the police academy tests and all that kind of stuff, but he seems to fail one thing and one thing only. Can we take a wild guess on what he failed? What did he fail? The psychological exam. <gasps> no way. Shocker, am I right? I would have ne- never, never in my wildest dreams would I have guessed that Not a million would... years. No. No. It wasn't the physical exam, right? No. It, it said psychological? Psychological. Not physiological. Psychological. Logical. That does- doesn't make any sense, does it? No. no. Sarcasm. No, no. Um, so he was rejected from a whole bunch of stations because of that. But, of course, one little small town in Broward County, Florida, Wilton Manor's police department, was pretty understaffed and just really needed someone. And they kind of assumed that he would just be pushing pens, to be, to be completely honest. But he ended up kind of shocking them. While he was there, he earned a lot of so he got a lot of accolades for doing a drug bust, which was like a pretty big deal in his precincts because it's just like such a small area. Um, but only to be fired like a month later from that station for pulling over women, right, in their cars. Right. Um, using his badge and getting personal information from them and then asking them out for a date. Just for fun? Just for funsies. Like, just for funsies. Like, he was just pulling girls over just to, you know, get their information. So, of course, this is, like, not cool, right? Not to just stop someone for a traffic stop and then not give them a ticket and then try to ask them out for a date. Um, so, he ended up getting fired from that, um, that police station. But he got off a job at another police station. So it's like he got in trouble for that and got fired for it. And yet another police station picked him up. So it's like everyone was kind of ignoring the warning signs. I don't know if it's because it's hindsight that we're kind of like seeing those warning signs or if he was just really good at masking. I feel like he was just really good at masking. I mean, I think it's also like it's back in the 60s. You know what I mean? Yeah, things were different. Like how good were databases back then on keeping tabs on 
who you were as a person. Mm-hmm. You know, like, how easy was... Like, you can lie on a resume now, and people will never know. Yeah. Like, now you can. I get that this is a little bit different, because it's obviously dealing with... Uh, be like the law and like yeah they do have to do like thorough background checks and all that kind of stuff where they have to like interview family members yada 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 but still the fact that all that slipped through the cracks kind of shocking so he gets accepted to which he gets accepted to the martin county sheriff's department Mm -hmm. and moves to stewart florida to try to get a new start in life um and then a month later he calls his boss and he says hey um, I made a really dumb mistake. One month later. One so, month later. One month later. And this is kind of where it all starts to unravel and go downhill. And we start to really learn oh, yeah. who Gerard Schaefer is. And what he's capable of. Right. So um, on July in 1972, while on patrol, uh, Schaefer notices... Uh, two women, Pamela Wells and Nancy Trotter, uh, they're hitchhiking their way through Florida. So he pulls over and he's pulling them over with his patrol car trying to say, hey, you know, hitchhiking is illegal. I need to pick mm-hmm. you two up. And he's charming. He's, you know, like 26 by the time. He's right? 25. 25. And these girls are 17 and 18. So I don't know about you, but it, while I was 17 and 18... If a, he's not really attractive, but he has a very kind looking face, which now that I look back in pictures and I see, and I know the story, it's kind of eerie the way he looks. But if, again, if I was just a 17 or 18 girl and a gentleman was very nice, you know, and like in his patrol car, I'd feel really safe. Wouldn't you? Yeah. I'd feel really safe. So I, I totally get why they kind of just agreed reluctantly that he was correct because like he's the law yeah sure officer i'm so sorry we shouldn't be hitchhiking so what does he do he uh meant he like takes them back to you know wherever they're going Mm -hmm. and while he was like i think they were staying in like a halfway house or something like that yes so they were staying in like a like a halfway house like a hostel kind of thing and while he drops them off he's like hey you know I'll give you a ride to the beach tomorrow morning if you want. And Because hitchhiking is illegal. Yes, because hitchhiking is illegal, which... Is it's it, not. It's not. That's a lie. It, it's a total lie. And also, like, this is back in the 70s. Like, it's... Well, yeah. It's normal to hitchhike. Like, this is what everyone That was did. kind of a normal thing. Yeah, yeah, like, everyone was hitchhiking to get around places. You could actually trust people, kind of, back then. Although, like, now that, like, true crime has kind of become a huge popular thing, I realize... There were so many mm-hmm. serial killers back in the 70s and the 80s. Why were people just hitchhiking? Yeah, I don't know. Like, why did we think it was safe? Well, social media. Oh, you're so smart, Amelia Bedelia. So, he mentions that he has some free time the following day. And, of course, he doesn't want these girls hitchhiking anymore. So, he's like, oh, yeah, I'll come pick you guys up tomorrow morning. And I'll take you guys to the nearby beach which is where the girls wanted to go. So the next morning he picks them up and then what I need you to walk me through. Yeah. So the girl said yes, obviously, cause he's a police officer. Yeah. You're going to trust police officers. Mm-hmm. They're there to protect you. I hate it when we do that. <laughs> Actually, I love it. not going to lie. Uh, they're not there to harm you. No. Or to, you know, I mean, murder you. Uh, uh, spoiler alert. Morgan. <laughs> I'm sorry. Spoiler alert. I just wanted to tell them so bad. 
Um, so he picks up the girls and instead of taking them to the beach, he turns and kind of starts to take them to like a secluded swamp area. And this area is known as Hutchinson Island. Which it's really run down there and really ugly. And I don't even want to know what it looked like in the 70s, too. Oh, with like no idea. no upkeep or anything yeah. like that. And uh, so in a later interview, the girls mentioned that once they began to notice that they weren't heading to the beach, he started to make a lot of sexual remarks. And the girls kind of started to protest. And like they were like, hey, you know what? Never mind. Just drop us off. We'll mm-hmm. like walk, whatever. Like We'll figure it out. He... Starts to hold them at gunpoint. And at this point, he tells them that he's going to sell them as white slaves. And he pulls over and starts to get them out of the car and directs them to walk to a nearby tree. Which we now know as Devil's Tree. But then it was just a tree. Correct. And Mm -hmm. um, at this tree is where he finds them and he positions them to be standing kind of like on their tippy toes on the roots of the tree with a noose around their neck to a higher tree branch. So the thing about how he had them positioned was that if they started to get tired at all, like if they slip and fall, yeah, if they slip and fall, they get tired or anything, they're going to hang themselves. How terrifying. So it, it like makes me, it makes, makes me so, I know, it like makes me like start to sweat a lot. Like I get so sweaty, like my hands right now are so sweaty. It's disgusting. Um, so he puts them in this position basically just to watch them like squirm. Yeah. Because he feeds off of that torture aspect. So I don't even want to know what he had in store for those poor girls. Like they haven't even had a chance to really live their lives and now they're faced yeah. with death. Can you imagine how traumatizing it could have been? So, thankfully, um, he receives a call over his radio because he's on duty right now when he picks up the girls. Like, he's on duty, and he gets a call over his radio and actually has to leave the girls and promises to return to do God knows. Um, Which he probably, if I were him... I would feel pretty secure that those girls weren't going anywhere. You, I mean, you have them basically about to hang themselves mm-hmm. if they slip or fall or anything. That's a pretty big consequence to try to escape. Exactly. Um, but I don't know who these girls are. Yeah. they. It, luckily, he did get called away. So these girls had time to kind of like think of a plan on how they were going to get away from such a terrifying and dangerous man. So... They miraculously break free. They run to the nearest highway where they actually flag down another patrol car and another policeman. Um, which, again, crazy that that it even happened. Um, so when the officer, like, pulls over, asks the girls, like, kind of, like, what's going on, tries to get some um, information out of them, it's not very hard to pin it on Schaefer because he had no problem at all First of all, giving him, giving those girls his full name, full name. He's so narcissistic. He was driving his police car. Like they have all these like descriptors. It And he probably didn't think that they were going to get loose. No. But the fact that he was so careless makes me want to believe that this is his first time. Yeah. You know, right? Well. Or is it just me? I don't know, but it could also be like he's done it so many times and he has gotten cocky. away with it to where he's like, Nah, 
No one's ever gotten away before. Why do I need to worry now? That's probably correct. So, yeah. So, Schaefer ends up going back after a little bit, after he gets done with that call and notices that the girls are missing. So, immediately, he picks up the phone and calls his supervisor and is like, I have made a foolish mistake. That's what he calls this craziness of binding women to balance on roots with a noose around around their neck as a foolish mistake. Yeah. It's no big deal. And it's just a mistake. Yeah. Don't worry about it. So his boss, Sheriff Richard Crowder, um, immediately strips him of his badge and charges him with false imprisonment, imprisonment and two counts of aggravated assault of the two now traumatized teen girls. Just aggravated assault? Just aggravated assault. Not like attempted murder? Well, he passes the story as like, him trying to teach those girls a lesson and taking his job too seriously because he didn't want these girls to be faced with more dangerous people. Ironic, isn't it? Very ironic. So Sheriff Crowder does not, he calls BS on the entire thing. Yeah. And they go ahead and along and press those charges. Um, which online, you can actually look at pictures of the girls that went back to that same tree to recreate photos for police officers to take a picture. And as terrible as it sounds for the girls, because again, traumatizing for them, it really, really helped the police station finally kind of like give them some gusto. Like, they had now physical evidence of yeah. how they how he kind of works inside of his head. So they didn't really know the extent of how dangerous he was, but they were kind of getting a peek behind the curtain right. at this point. So Gerard is released on a $15,000 $15, bail and is awaiting trial, which is scheduled for November of that same year, of 1972. Um, and he is still hard at work at committing who knows how many crimes in, in between. So two months later, uh, 17-year-old Susan Place and 16-year-old Georgia Jessup go missing after an evening beach trip to play guitar. Um, Susan's mother claims that they were last seen with a man matching the description of Schaefer, like to the T. Hmm. Um, and thankfully the mom had her mom jeans going on because... Um, what did she do? She took down the plate number oh my and got a full description of Schaefer's car. This reminds me of when we were in high school. And remember our, like, super close friend in L Squad, mm -hmm. Carlos? Mm -hmm. Remember his mom would always yeah. get our license plates and, like, our she driver's license? She took my license, license when yes. we went to Universal. She I wanted remember. to look at my driver's license, which now, as a parent, I kind of get. <laughs> yeah, because I remember in high school, all of us were like, oh, my God, she's so overbearing. Yeah. Like, just trust us. But, like... She doesn't know us. She no. doesn't know who we are, who he's hanging out with. Like, she doesn't know I anything totally about us. totally get it. Like, that's actually so smart. And if your parents, anyone, if you as a parent ever want to check someone's license plate or, you know, get their... It's all public record. It's fine. You can search anyone's license plate. Like, there's nothing wrong with being safe. It it didn't harm Absolutely you not. at all to give your license over to no. his mom for her to check. It didn't harm us at all for her to get her license plates. Like, mm -mm. all it did was give her the peace of mind that if something happens, I know where my child is. Exactly. And if anything were to happen to any of us, yeah. now she has all that information. She's met us face to face. She knows our names. She knows who we right. are. 
And now I understand why my mom wouldn't let me go to like friends' houses to do like sleepovers. Like I was still able to do sleepovers as kids, but my mom had a rule where she had to meet the parents at least twice before I was able to go spend the night. And she would always drop me off and come inside, kind of not check out the house, but she would definitely come inside and kind of like get a get some bearings on what kind of location that I was going to be hanging out with, hanging out in for that night. And I mean, it was really smart that the mom did that because then later on they had all that information of yep. what license plate picked up the girls, mm-hmm. what the guy looked like that picked them up, and it all fit Gerard's description. Yeah, which you thought it would have kind of like helped propel the police station to kind of like really get him charged for something and immediately thrown in jail. But the police didn't really do much whenever Susan's mom kind of, like, brought this information to the police officers. I don't know what they were doing or what other pressing matters were more important or anything like that, but um, after, at the trial that Schaefer had in November, he pled guilty to only one count of assault. What? One count of assault. So the other two charges were getting dropped. The false imprisonment was dropped, and so was his other count of aggravated assault. So with both of those taken off of the charge record, he ended up only getting sentenced to one year in jail, in local jail, and then three years of probation, which the with how mildly mannered Schaefer was in court and during his appearance and all that kind of stuff, they told him that after six months they would do a review and he might be able to get out early and go on parole early. Which put another dangerous man out on the streets even sooner. So at this point, they still hadn't put like any thought or placed any charges on him for the for like the two girls that were missing, Place and Jessup. Nope. They just said, "No, nah, that information doesn't really matter right now. We don't really know what to do with it." Yep. Just didn't connect any of the just dots. Just didn't connect just any didn't, of the dots. Didn't, didn't really get. look into it. Um, and I don't know if it was because maybe Schaefer was part of the police, like station or like because his name was so well known they were kind of just like eh, don't worry about it like the guy's just kind of creepy with girls don't worry about it so while in jail the police because he get, ended up starting his sentence january 15th in 1973 right so the following year very early on in the year um so his trial was in november right he was finally in jail okay for that one count of aggravated assault yeah at, yeah, um, <laughs> January 15th of 1973. So everything seems safe. He's in jail. He's finally away. Maybe he's not going to assault any more women. So while I'm, while in jail, the police station that Susan actually went to with all this information, matching the description of Schaefer with Susan. the license plate. Susan's mom. Susan's mom. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Um, they finally traced it back to Schaefer. Right. But he denied all the claims and said that it was basically a game of he said, she said right. at that point. But he was already in jail. So they kind of just like went, yeah, he's already in jail. He's being punished. You know, there's no actual yeah. evidence. There's no actual evidence saying that he was the last person with those girls. You know, right. he was still a suspect, but he was in jail. So, but they still trace the license plate, the license plate back to him. Yep. And they ignored it until April 1st 
um, when two fishermen were out collecting aluminum for like recycling and stuff like that out on Hutchinson Island and they ended up finding human remains. <laughs> yes. Could you, could you imagine? No. You're just doing your job. No. You're trying to do good for the environment. You're just trying to recycle, collecting aluminum trash from no. people. And it's, you go to reach down and grab a can and you realize it's a bone. What would you do? I have that fear every time I pick up a trash bag off the What would you do? What 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 would you do? Luckily, they immediately called police. So they had okay. their heads screwed on on right. So a couple days later, they ended up finding out that these remains happened to be those remains of Susan Place and Georgia Jessup, unfortunately. Those two girls that went with him to play guitar at the beach. So Mama Bear had the right feeling. And unfortunately... It didn't pan out very well. Um, so this was found from the dental records of both of the girls and evidence from the crime scene points towards the fact that the girls had definitely been tied up to a tree and butchered. In addition to these hor- horrific events, Susan had also been shot in the jaw, which they were able to obviously look at her skull and be able to see that she was shot in the jaw. That just, like, makes my jaw hurt. Like, that just makes me want to, like, hold my jaw up yeah. to my face and just, like, never let anyone near it again. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like, I just, like, just the thought, I know, just, like, uh, uh, no, I don't want anyone talk. <laughs> I don't, I don't want anyone touching it. It's just, like, oh. Uh, to get your jaw blown off. Because you don't die from that. No. You just writhe in pain. So I don't even want, want to know how painful these girls' deaths were because he was very well known for torturing and prolonging the death because he got sexual satisfaction from that, which is another common factor in all these serial killers. They're getting right. that sexual satisfaction from that control, that dominance. Right. And then on top of it, a lot of the times it goes with the torture aspect and yeah. feeling that control. Yeah. So on April 7th, only six days after the girl's remains were found, not like identified, but once they were found, once the fishermen stumbled upon them and the police were able to search Schaefer's mother's home, they finally got a search warrant to look through his mother's house, which he had a bedroom of storage um, in that home, which they were pretty certain had some pretty incriminating evidence in it. Right. And there's actually so much, so much stuff. What kind of stuff would even be in that room? Uh, so I actually have a nice list for you of all the, all the things. So um, fantastic. So buckle up. Uh, so the personal items found in his mother's house, um, included a stash of women's jewelry, um, a bunch of writings, uh, diaries and horrific hand-drawn pictures depicting young women being gruesomely murdered. Which you can Google online. I have photos (laughs) that I can add somewhere. Or if you would like to Google them on your own, you can look up some of these. Yeah. You won't be able to find, I could not find a diary entry. So if anyone can find a diary entry and send it to me. Please. As much as I don't want to read it, I kind of just want to just peer into his mind of what exactly was going on. But these pictures really do a great job at showing what was going on. They're horrific. They even have some of like his childhood drawings that he has in there. And, like, you can definitely tell that they were drawn by a child, but I can't even 
put words together that would even encompass how disturbing some of these drawings were. They're awful. They're like so horrific. There's so there's like all this bondage to them. There's just gruesome. They all look in pain. Yes. Terrified. It just engorged. Yeah. They look all like it's awful. Mm-hmm. Um. So if you would like to be horrified for the rest of your life, you may sure go Google them or look right. at them wherever we post them. Um. He. Also had in his possession uh, two newspaper clippings of other women by the names of Carmen Halleck, who was actually abducted from her home in 1969. Um, the police found and confirmed that one of her gold teeth was in the possession of Schaefer. So they also found one of her gold teeth in this room. Wow. Um, the second woman was Leigh Bonadies, who was his neighbor that reported multiple times Schaefer had been lurking around her home at night. So this goes back to him when he was a peeping Tom. In high school. In high school. And, like, she had actually made reports about it, but nothing happened. Again, boys will be boys. And he was a minor. Mm -hmm. You can't convict anyone unless they're 18 and Mm -hmm. there's proof of six months. So nothing came of that. And um, she mysteriously went missing while traveling to Miami on a promise for a job offer to work in the CIA that Schaefer had told her about. Because mm-hmm. he had the hookup, you know, being a police officer, he yep. had a hookup. Just meet up with me and I'll get you that job. Yep. And then um, she was found a month later on a construction site with multiple bullet wounds in her skull. Yeah. Mm. And they actually... So they didn't identify her body until five years later. So they found it a month later, and then five years later were finally able to identify her body. Um, there was also a piece of an ID, um, and the IDs were of Barbara Wilcox and Colette Goodenough, who were last seen alive back in January 8th. So this is, like, days before he ends up going to jail. Yep. Like, he was hard at work. Knowing that he had already been caught. Yep. And still doing the same things. Yep. And, like, the, they had a bunch of jewelry that they had found in there. And they even linked this jewelry back to a 14-year-old from the name of <sighs> Mary Briscolina, mm-hmm. who vanished from Broward County. And she was with her friend, um, 13-year-old Elsie Farmer. And this was back in October. So wow. all of this had been going on for months. While he was under the scrutiny yeah. of being like, I can't. Yeah. And mm. if you notice too, um, he kills in pairs. So all of the names that, that I've listed. Yes. He always has chosen to kill women in pairs. Now, is that like a personal preference? Is that kind of just like a fun little signature that he had? Or like what was kind of going through his mind whenever he was choosing like two at once? So he actually has a quote um, saying that he chose to kill girls in pairs because their guards are down because they're in a pair. They think that being, you know, with someone else Mm -hmm. is going to make you safer. So their guard is a little bit more down. And also that once you get them, it's more risky to kill two at once. So the thrill is just that much more. That's disturbing. Yeah. That makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, 
And also, like, something to note, too, is that, like, while having all these things in his possession, because you would think that he has all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So we could definitely convict him on something. Yeah. It's all circumstantial. How? Because you can't actually connect any of this stuff back to him being the reason they died. So it could have just been stuff that they gave to him. That is just, and he, he seemed to always have an excuse or an explanation on why he had all these things. Like Mm -hmm. for the teeth, he said that his roommate planted them. What roommate? What? Show me the car facts. Not sponsored. And like, why do serial killers and criminals even keep these trophies in the first place, knowing that cops are going to find them? Well, I think it's not, it, well, it, it traces back to the narcissism for sure. And again, with this whole like power hungry thing, they want to relive that sexual satisfaction over and over and over again. And what's a great reminder of that? Having a souvenir, right? You buy souvenirs from theme parks, which I've now probably ruined souvenirs from theme parks for (laughs) everyone. I'm sorry, Disney Universal and everyone else that's here in Florida. But they used to keep those things like, but more common trophies are like locks of hair undergarments, you know, things that are like almost automatically associated with sexual, like it's weird. It's definitely weird because we are not in that mindset, but these people are. So they tend to keep these souvenirs. Why teeth? I don't know. Cause that seems like a really obvious thing. That's like the first thing that they're going to check for is dental records. Cause that's the easiest way to identify someone if they've been rotting. You don't need someone's teeth. Like, that is not... No. You don't need someone's teeth. Like, why do you keep it? Like, you either have to be a tooth fairy mm-hmm. or, like, a parent from, like, your, like, child that's like, ooh, I'm gonna leave this under yeah. my pillow for you. And... Only two options. On top of it, the purse that they ended up finding in, in all of these belongings mm-hmm. belonged to Place herself. And his excuse for that was that he got it... No, no, no. I got it in... Morocco while I was traveling through Europe. What? My dude. Straight up lie. And the cops saw right through it. But again, like you said, they can't prosecute him because they can't confirm what the cause of death was for all of these girls. But soon they will all have justice. Schaefer was eventually caught and then convicted of first degree murder in October of 1973. He was given two life sentences for the deaths of Susan Place and Georgia Jessup, the girls that their remains were found. Yeah. So we were able to really easily pin him on those two for sure. Just because we Um, had the remains, we had the murder spot, we had all that information. It wasn't just the circumstantial evidence found in his home. Yeah, it was just everything was kind of adding up. And the fact that they could prove that that both of those girls were... Bonded to trees was kind of like his little signature mark on it. Right. So, of course, he tried to, like, appeal this, like, multiple times while he was in jail and, like, getting prosecuted with this. But they were like, no. Yeah, Yeah, I think not. So every single one of those attempts was just, like, shut down. Shut it down. Shut it down. Shut it down. Shut it down. So, fast forward to 1990, um, when his fiancée... Um, Sandra London, which they kind of had this weird relationship to begin with because she had this like obsession with serial killers and crime. She was a writer and 
I think to get her that extra oomph and that extra attention and that extra information, she would kind of lure these men in and have them tell her all of their deepest, darkest secrets and she'd turn around and make money off of them. Yeah, so there's not like a huge amount of information about the building of their relationship because like he gets these life sentences in 1973. He has a fiance in 1990. So he's in jail for a while yeah. And she meets him in jail. Mm-hmm. And, like, they are a couple. And then they even get engaged. And there's not really much more on that than just that. Just that. Because <laughs> like, it wasn't really... It was more of, like, a business deal for her, really. Right. And I really don't think emotionally he was into it. I think he was more butthurt than anything. Because... Remember, even back whenever the priests saw right through him and, right. you know, the, the police station saw right through him, his dad saw right through him, that really goes for his ego. And right. I think that's what really, really triggers him is whenever they see right through his mask and see him for what he truly is. And that's right. a monster. So she uses all of his collection of stories that he tells her and all of these pictures from his childhood as well. And she writes a book on him and then... We learn that he, again, he probably boasted about how many women he killed, but it's anywhere from two, which we know it's more than two, but we know for sure that it's two. Right. Um, up to like 80 women. And then later on, while he's in um, Florida State Prison, he's actually friends with Ted Bundy. And this is whenever they really start to kind of really try to show off for each other. Right. And he talks about how he's, like, killed, like, all of these women and he's even, like, cannibalized and all that kind of stuff. Which, again, as a sociopath, you don't really know what to believe and what not to believe. But I feel like it's more safe to believe everything. Um, So he claims that all of the stories that he tells London are, like, fiction and that they're not really real. But they're so similar to, like, all of the things that actually happened that... She kind of sees right through that and just goes ahead and keeps going. So after a year um, of the book actually being published, she, London breaks off the engagement because, you know, she's gotten whatever she needs from him. Shocker. (gasps) Womp, womp, womp. You know, so I want to feel bad for the guy, but I really don't. So (laughs) probably for the best that they ended up getting a divorce, but she ends up dating another serial killer, right? Just or for like fun. just for fun. What I don't like I don't understand. Is What's it just the... like a step up from the pen pals? It's just a step up from the pen <laughs> You know pals. what I'm saying? I mean, it's like it's a like it's like a business choice, I guess. I mean. I guess. I mean, I don't think I would sleep with a serial killer just But are is she sleeping with these men? She has. I mean, does she have to though? No, she doesn't have to, I guess, but I mean, but she probably did. Um, (laughs) we're making making some assumptions (laughs) don't quote us it's fine so um he got like really really butthurt and stuff like that from him from her you know breaking up with him and publishing all the stuff about him and using all of his work that like he never approved and again other writers are also finding out about all this stuff and also writing books about him as well. <laughs> so it's not just her. Like, I think right. one of the books is called Killer Cop, which a lot of the a lot of the murders that he did commit happened while he was an active cop. 
Because you're supposed to trust cops. Yeah. If a cop pulls you over, you're going to stop. Mm-hmm. And if they tell you you're under arrest... He was in the perfect position to commit the crimes that he did. You're supposed to trust them and you're going to listen to whatever they tell you to do because they're a cop. Yep. So he sends from state prison, sends a letter to legal counsel, which ends up just going to Hello? the author <laughs> um, that wrote Killer Cop. Right. And he goes on and on. You can look up the um, the whole entire letter online, but the, really the most important part, because he kind of just rambles on for like a paragraph or two, um, but he lists off all of the ways that they can avoid being sued, you know? <laughs> so he's sitting in jail with two life sentences, worried about what people are writing about him in a book, because again, he's a narcissist and he cares. Um, so he says, you need to remove me from all of the books um, immediately and to take out all of my work. Um, he wanted an apology in writing, acknowledging the errors that they made in his story. Oh, poor Oh, because they weren't telling it right, oh, you know? Baby. Um, that He wanted compensation. And on top of it, he wanted to be compensated for using all of his work, which he called it literally work, without his permission. So using his... How about don't kill people? Yeah. How about, how about we just like... Solid, Did you kill people rule. with permission? Didn't think so. Yeah. This, again, another red flag of him being a narcissist, thinking that the whole world revolves around him. Imagine being in jail on two life sentences yep. for, murdering two, for murdering two girls. Like, And what's crazy, though, is that all of that all of the lawyers and all of the um, legal, you know, just backing that he's going to need would be completely for free because he's broke as a joke sitting in jail. And the state, you know, gives you that um, legal counsel no matter what to defend you. So these authors are kind of getting scared that they actually might see a lawsuit and stuff like that. So... A lot of them kind of like pull out or like, you know, like take their books off the market for a little bit and kind of put it on the back burner. And then they end up later publish publishing it again. Um, so while he was in jail, he didn't really have a good time. No, I mean. When... <laughs> Which is why I think he was seeking those outside lawsuits to kind of like yeah, fill his time. Well, I mean, when you're a complete douchebag mm -hmm. you're probably not gonna be very popular in prison no i mean like you are in jail for killing two girls look a few of them were minors most of them yeah most of them were minors i think lee was the only one that was like the same age as him yeah like most of the girls that he killed were minors and so he was known in jail as someone who had gone off, like, gone after minors, mm -hmm. which already is not a very good look. No. Which they now put them in solitary confinement for their safety. But Why? they did not then. We should not keep them safe. Mm -hmm. Let them die. Let them die. Either tell the truth on why you're in jail or let someone else find out and tell it for you. Right. And, like, 
not only that, he also just, as we can tell, was super full of himself mm-hmm. and so prideful about everything that, like, no one likes to be around someone who's a narcissist. No. And there are actually video interviews of him kind of, like, discussing, like, the lawsuit and him discussing his time in jail um, and in state prison from like the nineties that you can go onto YouTube and you can search and you can watch him. And if you watch his mannerisms, like you can just, you really can tell how he tries to pin everything on everyone else. And he's never to blame, (laughs) never to blame. Oh no, it's never his fault. And he speaks very condescending and very down to everyone that he speaks to, which I'm sure is very frustrating as probably an employee. Yeah. Of, I would just, there would be a lot of problems. So his type of personality did really not mesh well with the rest of the gentlemen in state prison. So for somehow, some way, they set his cell on fire, not once, but twice while he was in it. How do you set a cell on I don't even know where they got the supplies to what set you, it on I fire. Don't, you know, people in jail are so smart. Yeah. How do they make all of these things. He also got shanked as well. How? And that was the first attempt that they had at, like, trying to injure him. And then they moved to the setting his cell on fire. And then they even threw human feces into his stall as well. <laughs> Not his stall. His cell as well. Which, <laughs> if I was a narcissist, would piss me off. But I'm not. And it also would piss me off. So I could only imagine <laughs> how angry he probably it, it, was. It would only piss you off if you were a narcissist. Yeah, so. but only if I was a narcissist. Only if you were Like, to literally get shit on. Like, that would be pretty terrible. And you're sitting there rotting in a cell. So he ends up getting shanked as well. Yada, yada, yada. Um, and in 1991, he had an interview, which for like... Again, an entire hour. I And that's the interview that you can go on to YouTube and watch. And you can literally watch him and how he blames everything on everyone else. He also talks about the shanking in that interview um, and just how badly he's treated. So he likes to paint himself as the victim. Right. Um, so he got very caught up in himself. And he would talk to Ted Bundy and Otis Toole. <laughs> Because, you know, that was all during the same time. And I don't know why they would let these men sit and chat over a cup of coffee. What would you even talk about? Oh, they talked about a lot. So Ted Bundy actually made a comment on how he was inspired by how he tried to get the girls in pairs. And he said it was definitely more fun. A lot more hard. uh, Like, it's a lot harder, but... It was more fun, which kind of, like, disgusts me whenever you find out what Ted Bundy went through and what he did, especially at at FSU, of all places. I know. What is up with Florida and these awful serial killers? Uh, We're just... Crazies. Yeah. There's a lot of people here in Florida, so it makes it very easy to come and infiltrate in there and still be not a known person like you can kind of be a floater in Florida I feel like because tourism is like a really big thing and it was still a big thing then too so it made it very easy to kind of like go underneath the radar and kind of coast through which I think is why Ted Bundy and a lot of these famous serial killers picked Florida is because they could fly underneath that radar but that what I'm about to say is going to be like really really harsh 
It's just not good. Just, just don't say it. Just. I have to. Come on. So he, in the conversations with Ted Bundy, would talk about if a girl drowns in her own vomit while I disemboweled her girlfriend. Does that count as a kill? How about a pregnant woman? Does that count as two? It gets just too confusing. (laughs) Which is skin crawling to hear those words. And to be in the same room as them saying that would be even more terrifying. I like, I can't even imagine like sitting next to someone and them feeling comfortable enough to say that. You know what I mean? Like, like for them to just be like, oh, this is common ground. Like if I say this, it's not going to sound weird. But he's talking to Ted Bundy, who had also done some horrific stuff, which we'll talk about that in a later episode. But no. (laughs) Well, specifically about what he did in Florida, because I kind of have some interesting insight on that, which teaser. Um, So I know. So he goes on in letters, kind of like bragging about how he started perfecting his skill. And yes, he uses the word skill at the age of 19 so whether this is true or not we don't really know because we don't know how many victims exactly he had but to think about the mental state that you have to be in at 19 to harm someone is kind of crazy well i mean like think about it he started killing animals when he was 12 So how different is it to a human? You already don't have any empathy for a living creature, especially an animal. Like, animals are completely helpless for the most part. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, they depend on us for a lot of things, and you're killing that? Mm Mm-hmm. Which a lot of the, like, people from the town that he grew up in said that he would often go to the Everglades to kind of just shoot things that weren't meant to be is what one of the guys said. So he would just shoot things just to shoot things, which, again, weird. Why is a kid going to the Everglades alone? He also went to the Everglades to, again, practice his sadism and tie himself to a tree and all of those habits from Georgia followed him to Florida. So he did do those things as well whenever he was younger. But... All of this tends to kind of, like, catch up with him, and finally, everyone had had enough. So, December 3rd of 1995, Schaefer was found with his eyes stabbed multiple times, very gruesome, not clean, and his throat slit. And they really pinned it on Vincent Rivera, which is his fellow inmate, and his cellmate that actually shared that cell. And Vincent Rivera did not have a clean record either. He was in there for like a double homicide, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> like a double murder. Yeah, he already had like a life sentence plus like 3 months on him. So he wasn't getting out anyways. He had like uh like it's like a life sentence, 25 years, and then an additional like 50 years got slapped onto him whenever they pinned him right. on murdering Gerard Schaefer. So like what's, you know, I'm already going to be in here for the rest of my life, you know. But come to find out, which they ended up leaving out of the jury's, like, kind of, like, common knowledge, the boot prints from the blood matched the boot prints of the correctional officers and what boots that they used to wear, which the cell inmates were not allowed to wear. They also found a handprint of Schaefer's blood on the wall that didn't match Vincent Rivera's or Gerard Schaefer's. 
so they just pinned it on him because he was going to be in jail anyways, and they just wanted to get rid of probably Schaefer. Yes, and Vincent Rivera was known for having short temper and stuff like that, okay. so I think it was just very easy to just kind of, like, toss it on him. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like, he's going to be in jail no matter what anyways. Like, mm-hmm. no one really cares for Gerard Schaefer to be around. And Schaefer was kind of known as a snitch, so I think they kind of pinned it as he had it coming. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, when you're a piece of crap, you're going to get crap. Snitches get stitches. I get it now. It makes so much more sense. So, I'm terrified. Right? Right. You're terrified. Right. We're about to have to go to bed. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it is now late. It's very late. I don't even want to know what time it is. You know. I just want to go cry. So, let's be mindful when we're out in pairs and all that kind of stuff. I'm... I'm sure Gerard Schaefer is not roaming about the streets with his ghosty little spirit still stealing girls. Could you imagine? I would be terrified, actually. And now that it's in my head, I'm sorry for everyone listening, because now it's in everyone's head, and now we're all scared. But um, on that note, it's uh, time for us to go, since we've (laughs) uh, successfully scared you and successfully scared us. Yes. So, uh, on that note, uh, remember to hold on to your covers tight and don't don't sleep sleep alone. alone.